the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Anytime you are confronted with biblical truth by the authority of the Spirit of God, which is evident by the exaltation of Christ, not only his saviorhood, but his lordship over men, the kingdom of God has come to you. Yesterday, we finished up our look at what it means to finish our lives, finish the race well as believers in Christ. In order to even begin the race, much less run the race and finish the race, we must be born again. And that'll be the subject of our time throughout the rest of this week, here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. We welcome you to the broadcast and would invite you to catch up with us here in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. It's there that we find ourselves understanding the need to be born again and just what that means. Here's Pastor Jessica Stand with today's broadcast of Way of Grace. John 3, 16, if you have a red letter edition Bible, you will notice that a whole lot of what's going on in John 3, 16 is our master talking. Now, here's what I would say about that. Whenever Jesus speaks, listen to him. Whenever Christ speaks, listen to him. And our subject is going to be over the next three weeks, you guys, in honor of the kingdom of God. Now, we are learning how to honor a lot of things. Today, I want you to honor the concept of the kingdom of God. So I'm pressing home the idea that God rules and that God reigns and that God has a kingdom into which you and I must enter, that God rules and God reigns and God has a kingdom into which you and I must enter. We must enter the kingdom of God. And this topic is so critical that our Lord takes up the kingdom of God all through his ministry, even after his resurrection. He makes it clear that this is about the kingdom of God. And yet in John 3, 16, what you have is what I recognize as kind of a pinnacle mountaintop statement out of the 36 verses that we will be dealing with over the next three weeks. Christ explains to Nicodemus, a ruler in the synagogue of his day, how that God's love would be revealed in a specific way and made known in a particular way to men and women all over the world. But what John 3.16 can never, ever be said to be is the unconditional love of God. John 3.16 can never, ever be understood propositionally. If you simply know how to read English as an inference, or an implication, or an explicit statement 
of some kind of unconditional love of God. Have you ever read the verse? Did you just read the verse? Did your logical mind conclude that God is offering an unconditional love? The answer is for some of you, yeah. But others of you know, because sometimes you read the Bible verse for what it says, and then sometimes you read the Bible verse for what you want it to mean. Are you hearing me? And we talk about this constantly in our church as we try to help people get a grip on the Bible. The Bible is not about you. The Bible is not about me. And nor is the Bible something you can go to with your own preconceived notions and expect God to sign off on your interpretation and you be right. What that means is when you come to the Bible, you have to come first ready to be wrong. Because my thoughts are not God's thoughts. And my ways are not God's ways. And there's a good likelihood, based on my record, that I'm not thinking right. And so when I open God's Bible, I have to be ready to be reproved and corrected and taught that God does not think like I do. Now, without dealing with John 3.16 today, because we will next week, what I simply want you to grasp is the fact that Far from this being interpreted as the unconditional love of God to all humanity, John 3.16, I assert to you, is the most conditionally expressed statement of the love of God in all the world and all the Bible. There is no clearer statement of conditionality on the part of God towards men than what is expressed explicitly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth shall be saved. When you get John 3.16 right, you understand that John 3.16 is not the kingdom, but the door to the kingdom. And it is a narrow door at that. A door which Christ said most men will not find. And even when you find that door, beloved, you can't enter it without the key. And the key is given in the same place that the door is mentioned. And we'll unpack that next week. But what is Christ doing when he asserts that? He's letting a man who presumed that he knew something about the kingdom of God know, Nicodemus, you have neither found the door nor the key. And this is true of most people in the world, including church folk. What I want to do is talk with you today from the burden of Christ's own zealous heart about the nature of the kingdom of God. Now, as we do, I want to work through the framework of John 3 today and then its primary subjects because there's a framework in John 3. You'll be ready to, readily able to identify it in verses 1 through 8 of John 3. We are dealing with the topic of separation from God. John 3 verses 1 through 8 clearly tells us we are separated from God. 
And then John chapter 3, verses 9 through 16 tells us how salvation is accomplished by God. And then verses 17 through 36 shows us how that God's salvation is applied by God. Verses 1 through 8 clearly tell us we got a problem, and that problem is we're separated from God. It is on this premise of the condition of mankind that Christ begins to deal with Nicodemus who makes the fatal mistake that most church folk do. And that is simply because you come to church that you are in the kingdom of God and nothing could be further from the truth. So what you and I want to do is work through the burden of the Lord Jesus Christ and the vision that he has for dealing with lost sinners both outside of the church and in the church. Now, I've given you a kind of three-part structure, did I not, to, to John 3. Separation from God, satisfaction by God, that's John three sixteen, and salvation through God, that's John three seventeen through 36. But now the doctrinal subjects are critical too. For John chapter 3 deals with the doctrine of being born again. John 3 deals with what it means to truly be born again. And then John 3 begins to develop the grounds of the new birth on the doctrine of justification or satisfaction of the wrath of God for sinners in order that the rebirth might be a reality. And then John chapter 3 closes out, not only dealing with birth, what it means to be born again. Secondly, the atoning work of Christ, what it means for Christ to die for sinners. Thirdly, saving faith and what it means to believe in, on, and through Jesus Christ. Do I have your attention? And so as we open up our Bibles, what I want you to clearly see under our first point, dealing with the problem of separation from God, which is the very reason for which Messiah came, for which Christ came, for which he assumed the human nature, for which he came into the world. He came into the world, ladies and gentlemen, as one who is so ontologically connected and unified with God that he is God himself. We call him very God a very God. And very God of very God, the visible Yahweh, came into the world because the whole world by nature is separated from God. He came as the just for the unjust to bring us back to God. That's his mission. That was his burden. That was his concern. He knew people's condition. He knew their hearts. And he knew there wasn't a smidgen of difference between a well-dressed, manicured, uh, Christian lingual-talking person and a vile, wretched, honky-tonk dwelling sinner, but real grace that changes the heart. He knew that. And he knew that the man who was coming to him, he knew that that man had a presumption of right, of knowing something that he could not know, Unless first there was a condition wrought in his heart by which when he said, we know, Christ would say, yes, indeed, you know. But nothing of that ever came out of our master's mouth. What we learn by way of evangelism and by way of apologetics and by way of talking with people 
where they are is when you listen carefully to them and you find out that they're talking like they know something, but they don't. If you want to help them, don't talk to them like what they think they know is right. Don't bob your head up and down and, and affirm an ignorant person about biblical truth, eternal verities, when in fact they don't know it at all. The best you could do is find the coyest way, the most careful way, the most kind way to change from that subject of what they presume upon and begin a discourse on the real issue at hand. Now, what Nicodemus did was set himself up to be dealt with by the master as one who reproves other masters. And that's because he said, we. Now, when he did that, he was coming in as an equal with Jesus. That was his first mistake. His first mistake was that he could stand on even ground with Jesus Christ and talk from a we factor as if they are both equal colleagues in the same realm, understanding the same thing. And our Lord said, no, you are far, 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 far from where I am. So as we deal with our text today, here's the point that I want to press on. Point number one, there is a kingdom to be what? Entered. There is a kingdom to be entered. The kingdom of God, as I said, is replete all the way through the New Testament. If you took out a concordance, what you would find is that from the very entrance of John the Baptist, the first of the two witnesses of God, the first one is John, the second one is Christ. These are the two witnesses that are the premier witnesses of the New Testament. All other witnesses follow them. These two men ushered in the kingdom of God. When John came, guess what he came? Saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus came into the world and began his ministry, what did we learn in uh, Matthew 4, 17? And after Jesus was finished being tested by the devil, he went straightway preaching the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. There is a kingdom into which we must enter. Now, that kingdom, once again, ladies and gentlemen, is an ominous statement relative to who you and I are over against God. The Bible is clear. God is a great king. God is a sovereign monarch. God is a ruler over all rulers. A first and initial and proper interpretation of God is not that he's your friend or that he's your buddy or that he's your partner or that he's your main squeeze, but that he is a sovereign divine monarch that sits on his throne and rules the universe. You miss that, you can't even begin to know God. It's what we learned a couple of months ago in Psalm 103 where David said it in Psalm 103, verse 19, pull that up. Remember, we learned how David taught us how to worship God for his forgiving grace and for his fatherly love, but first and foremost, for his sovereign rule. Here it is. The Lord hath prepared his what? Now, his throne means his place of dominion, his place of rule, his seat of authority. Thrones are for who? Kings. The Lord has set his throne in the heavens. And as we're learning on Friday night, you ought to be there. The heavens rule everything underneath them. 
There is no authority higher than the heaven of heavens, the third heaven where God reigns and rules, where his holy angels rule with him, and where all true believers go when they die is the third heaven. It is the unmolested dimension of a sovereign God where everyone there, angels and men, love God for precisely who he is. As a sovereign monarch, David said it, for the Lord had prepared his throne in heaven and his kingdom, what? Rules over all. This is that kingdom, that Davidic kingdom, that Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the king of that kingdom, came to usher in. And when the king came, he made sure every time he did his charisma, his preaching and proclamation, he ushered in this reality. The kingdom of God has come to you. The kingdom of God has come to you. And may I say this as a parenthetical and not be long. Anytime you are confronted with biblical truth by the authority of the spirit of God, which is evident by the exaltation of Christ, not only his saviorhood, but his lordship over men, the kingdom of God has come to you. Now you are obligated, you are obligated to respond to the sovereign, regal, absolute authority of the king. And this is why Christian folk are more accountable than anyone else. So what do we mean by there is a kingdom to be entered into? Here's what I mean. I mean that there is a manifestation in all points of history by which God reveals himself as sovereign monarch in a particular way and in a particular means and in a particular time. I will only give you three examples. There was a manifestation of God's kingdom rule in the days of men, in the days of Noah, when men were doing that which was right in their own eyes and every imagination of the heart of man was only evil continually. What God had did in that day was give them the simple centrality of blood substitution and sacrifice by an altar and the punishment of an innocent lamb as the means by which they would begin to have an acceptance with a holy God is angry with their sin. Does that make sense? All men did was put a bunch of rocks together. When they had a proper revelation of God, they took an innocent lamb, slew it, poured the blood out, and offered it up as a whole burnt offering, knowing that without the shedding of blood, there is no what? Remission of sin. The only way you and I can have a right relationship with God is if an innocent victim who is able to possess all of your guilt bear up under God's wrath so that you might escape the judgment of God. Are you hearing me? That simple act was the way men everywhere would be able to worship a holy God. Now, that way is narrow. That way is simple. That way is clear, is it not? But it's also very gracious. Will you hear me? For God doesn't have to make a way by which we worship him or serve him. He could simply punish us for our sin. But that God would make a way of escape, narrow as it is, simple as it is, does mean that God loves sinners. And in the days of Noah, some several thousand years of the fall of Adam and Eve and the, the maniacal nature of Cain after killing his brother Abel, and men began to grow and spread. And some of them were true believers like Lamech and Methuselah and Enoch and therefore Noah. In those days, God said, I found, Noah has found grace in my eyes. And for about 120 years, I'm going to referee men's lives. 
I'm going to referee men's lives by bringing a visible manifestation of the kingdom. Now, what was that visible manifestation of the kingdom? The ark of Noah. What that means is everywhere in the world where men had come to know that there was this crazy man and his family doing something that nobody else on planet Earth was doing. Building an ark the size of two football fields. A box, if you will. Watch this. With one way in and one way out. And for 120 years, the kingdom of God was among mankind. And every day that Noah nailed a plank to that ark and put the pitch on that ark and leveled that ark and made windows for that ark, every day that he was doing that, you know what he was saying? The kingdom of God is at hand. And every day men would have to reckon with, watch this now, the singular solitary way to God, which is the same as John three sixteen. There is no other way to the Father but through the Son. And as Noah finished his work, we discover in the book of Genesis chapter 7, where Noah is told by God in chapter 7, verse 15, listen to it. Genesis 7, 15 and 16, the ominous finality of the presence of the kingdom of God in that day. Are you there? And they went into Noah, they went in unto Noah into the what? Two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. I really want to stop and show you the gospel implications here, but I don't have time. All I want to say is animals are more obedient to God than men. Look at verse 16. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh as God had commanded them. And here it is. The Lord shot him in. It's very clear. God has always given a man, given humanity a witness, but that witness has never been always lead to Rome. God has always given a man, given man a narrow escape from his predicament, but that narrow escape doesn't exist always. Contrary to what you like to tell people, God's always there for you. That's not your Bible. God has a timetable for the manifestation of his mercy. And when that timetable is up, men are left to their own devices. There's a day of salvation. And when the day of salvation is over with, both you and God no longer care about your soul. You see, while it is today, you are to call upon the Lord. While he is near, you are to repent and turn and seek his face. But there's a day that comes when God agrees with you to hell with God. And so to hell you go. Because you didn't make hell. God made hell. The next time we read of God's manifest kingdom is not just in the Ark of the Covenant, but I'm jumping way now to that larger archetype of the temple. And Exodus 25, if you will, verse 21 tells us, everywhere in the world that if men are going to know God, they have to come to where God is. And that would be in a small area in Jerusalem, Palestine, in a tent. And then once you get in the tent, there's another tent, even smaller, that you have to enter in. Are you hearing me? And even then, you can't go in 
Someone has to represent you to go in. You have to bow to the full revelation of how God saves a sinner by the shedding of blood through the mediatorial work of someone that God chooses to represent you to go in for you. This is what I meant by the key to the door. Without the key, you can't even get in the door. Studying God's Word that we might show ourselves approved, that we might come to a deeper love and understanding of God's amazing love for us in Jesus Christ. This has been Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. We are always delighted and grateful that you take a few moments to spend with us, that we might, again, study to show ourselves approved. And as we leave you today, we would also leave you with an invitation to join us for worship in person. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Pastor Jessica Stand and Grace Bible Church of Hayward, please consider this a formal invitation to spend Sundays with us. 11 a.m. is the worship service, 10 a.m. if you would like to join us for Sunday school. And don't forget, Friday evenings at 8 p.m., we have enjoyed a marvelous time of studying God's Word with brothers and sisters in Christ from a variety of churches all over the Bay Area. That's at 8 p.m. Friday evenings. For directions and more information, simply stop by our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Or give us a call, 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're looking for a copy of today's program, you can either contact us by phone or mail. Send $5 and we'll get a CD out to you. Or stop by grace-bible.com and download the audio file for free. The address, if you're writing to us, is 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. 94541 is our zip code. And one final note as we conclude our time together today. We're able to come to you daily here on KFAX because of friendships and partnerships with people such as you who see the value of this ministry. Now, while it is free to listen to, for us, there is a cost, and we are a listener-supported ministry. No matter the size of your gift, it's greatly appreciated. So would you take a moment and pray about it and then contact us with your gift today? 510-886-9782 is our phone number, or write to us, 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.